0: Welcome to episode 125 of T or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. And in today's episode, we will be talking about celebrity memoirs. Do we read them? And in the second half, we're doing two quite different books, Landscape in Sunlight by Elizabeth Fair and Day by Michael Cunningham. Anyone who listened to the last episode will know that they that uh, the Elizabeth Fair appeared in Rachel's 10 favorite books of the year. The Michael Cunningham appeared in my favorite books of the year. And we're doing a bit of a swap, so we know we know that Rachel loves one of them, and I love the other one. But who knows what we? I, I, yeah, that sentence is falling apart. But you know what I'm saying. Something to look forward to in the second half. <laughs> um, <laughs> other other podcasters my, podcasters might re-record, but not this one. <laughs> we're going to flower on.
1: On regardless.
0: <laughs> um, before we get on to celebrity memoirs, Rachel, how are you? And what are you reading?
1: Um, I'm all right, thank you. I'm um, currently. A month out from the school musical which i am um producing um alongside my Ooh. director so it's, uh, it's a lot of work um i'll be glad when it's over to be honest but at the same time looking forward to seeing our vision come alive on stage um which has meant not a huge amount of time to read but i did have uh, a trip to norfolk this weekend i went to stay with my my best friend from university and Thanks to the joys of the the British railway system, the journey was considerably longer than it should have been.
0: <laughs>
1: so I have plenty of time to read. And um, I read Day uh, that we're going to be discussing On the Train, which was uh, quite an interesting experience. A, a, a book that has quite a truncated time um mm. kind of Reading in a very short space of time. I always find that quite interesting. And then I had to borrow a book for the train back because stupidly I did not pack a spare. Oh Rachel. Um, I know. And I'd I'd read all of day on on the journey up there. So um I borrowed convenience store worker. Is that what it's called? Japanese. A uh,
0: woman, I think.
1: Convenience store woman, that's it. Um, which I meant to read for a long time. It was very popular a couple of years ago, wasn't it? It was um Mm. everywhere. And I thought, well, I'll give this a go. And it was the perfect length for my train journey. i finished it just as I pulled into King's Cross. And um I really enjoyed it actually. I've I've got a bit of a thing for Japanese literature at the moment and I really enjoy the kind of sparseness of it. Um and I'd love to know more about the Japanese language and how it works because whenever I read it translated it always feels very sort of stripped back in a way which I, I enjoy very much but yeah I found it really interesting and funny but also very touching and um yeah a bit of a departure for me not something I would have ordinarily picked up so sometimes those mm. sort of desperate I don't have a book moments lead you towards a little gem so I've recommended
0: yeah I've got two things I want to follow up from there firstly which musical are you doing
1: Little Shop of Horrors
0: Gosh, what a choice. Um, uh, is that Suddenly Seymour? Is that in there?
1: Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, um, have been waking I up at sort of three o'clock every morning with one of the songs in my head as I wake up. And I feel like I must be having these sorts of stress dreams. Um, <laughs> really, really having.
0: yeah. Um, my second one's not a question, but about the Japanese language, I read a really interesting book called Fifty Sounds by... Polly Barton I have to think it's not Dolly Parton it's something like that Polly Barton um, which is one of the Fitzcarraldo non-fiction titles um, she moved to Japan and it's partly about her her experience there but it's also about learning Japanese and the way that Japanese language works and all that sort of thing so I think having yeah. you, you having just said that I think you find it really interesting
1: okay I'm putting it yeah. on my list right now quite exciting yeah what are, you, um, what are you reading Simon
0: um, well, I'm currently reading a Molly Pantadown's book, but not one that is very much discussed. It is oh. At the Pines, um, oh. which, yeah. Have you read that one?
1: I've not read it, but I've I've seen it. Is it a memoir?
0: It's not really. So it is nonfiction. I thought it was a memoir, but it's about this house that um, Algernon Swinburne, the poet, and uh, later Max Beerbohm both lived in. We haven't got much but Max Beerbohm in and it's sort of, I guess, a biography of Swinburne's time living there, but in, in told in quite a novelistic way. Um, I don't know anything about Swinburne. I didn't really know who, who he was. He's, he was obviously yeah. a huge deal at the time, right through to when Molly Pantadans was writing this. But I don't, I mean, I got through an English degree without ever hearing him mentioned. I don't know if he came up much in yours, but um, yeah. I think his star has somewhat faded. So I was hoping it'd be more her memoir of living at a at house. She didn't live there. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a, f- a false hope. <laughs> um, and if it were just someone writing about Swinburne, I don't think I'd care. But because she writes about it in quite a fanciful, as I say, novelistic way, I am quite enjoying it. But um, more, I'm sort of treating it in my mind as though it were fiction and she's writing about fictional people because I don't really care about the non fictional people she's talking about.
1: Well, fair enough. Yeah. As long as you're enjoying it.
0: Yeah. I mean, she writes wonderfully whatever she's writing. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's not quite true. Some of her early novels are dreadful, but uh, but this <laughs> she writes well. Um, yes, yeah, Stormbird, very bad. Um, talking of real people, celebrity Uh-oh. memoirs came, came, came to me as a theme. Um, I think it's interesting what we count as a celebrity memoir, though. So, what 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 parameters would you put? Would you put around what count, makes something a celebrity memoir rather than just a memoir?
1: Oh, okay, that's a good question. I think for me, celebrity would be, uh, somebody who's made their name in a kind of, uh, probably music, arts, film, um, TV, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe sports as well. Somebody who's mm. a kind of big name, maybe a bit of a flash in the pan sort of person. The the kind of thing that you know you get flogged at Christmas.
0: In the supermarket yeah i think that is the you know when we think of it we might think of that you know at one end of the scale like katie price i assume that our international audience don't know who she is but i hope they don't but uh she was a sort of i guess glamour model turned mm-hmm. into reality tv star and actually quite canny businesswoman but she would write a memoir every couple of weeks it seemed mm-hmm. um uh you know that sort of level then you go up i mean i think the the time that comedians started writing them, I think, was when Peter Kay wrote his, and it, it was this unexpected huge Christmas success. Oh, yes. And then it, all the publishers are chasing after which one to put out Christmas. So when we get on to the ones we've read a lot of minor comedians have written them, which feels to me sort of on that line between are they a celebrity mem- memoirist or are they just writing a memoir? Because obviously comedians, stand-ups, particularly, write all the time. That's you know they are writers. Uh, yeah. So it's yeah, that's on the line i guess and then yeah as you say there's some you know like john Gilgood writing one doesn't feel like a celebrity memoir but in a way i guess it is i don't know it's um for me yeah. it's
1: that sort of separation between where somebody has used a ghostwriter and it's and it's yeah you know, as opposed to somebody writing um something that's hand like written by themselves and also offers an insight into the craft that they do. Like I, I suppose if I really respect them as an artist and they've got something to say about their profession and how that's impacted on their life. If we think, for example, when you were talking one of your top ten books was R. C. Sheriff's um mm, mm. Memoir that none of us have none none of the rest of us can get a hold of Simon, but never mind. Um yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think that's a very different piece. That's somebody who is a highly respected playwright and novelist who is giving an insight into their process um you know I don't think any of us would would consider you know the likes of Virginia Woolf if Virginia Woolf had written something like that you know we wouldn't consider that a sort of celebrity memoir it would be um an expert writing about themselves and and what they do celebrity memoirs for me are more like people who've not done anything particularly amazing and most of it's just a load of fluff about you know their heart, the hard hard times they've had in their childhood, and most of them are about 25 anyway. So it's like, well, you've not really done much yet, have you? <laughs> well,
0: uh, yeah, I think I mean, I will just mention some of the comedian ones I've, I've enjoyed before we get on to more of those ghost written ones. But basically, I seem to be working my way through the Taskmaster contestants. I, for <laughs> those who don't know, Taskmaster is a sort of um comedy show where each series five different comedians will do silly tasks it's it's, it's brilliant. very funny, uh, it? yeah yeah <laughs> um and it does seem to be a thing now that stand-ups have to write a book this you usually they try and hang it on some sort of hook that makes them feel a bit more serious and i'm not saying that um uh to be mean, it just seems the way it works. So for, I mean, for example, I've read some brilliant ones like Katie wicks's memoir, Delicacy, which linked traumatic periods in her life to different cakes that she remembers eating near them. So that doesn't sound like it should, would work, but it was an absolutely brilliant book. And that was in my top 10 last year or the year before. Um, I've also read Phil Wang's Side Splitter, which is about being half British, half Malaysian, and how that feels growing up in Malaysia and then in Britain. Um, Fern Brady wrote a really good one called uh, Strong Female Character, which is um, largely about her experiences as an autistic person. Um, Lou Sanders, What's That Lady Doing? Doesn't really have quite the same hook, but it's a lot of moving. All of them are very funny, even when they're very sad as well. And then you get people like Ed Gamble, who's just written one about liking food. And that one I refuse to read because Ed Gamble always talks about how he doesn't read books. And I think if you don't read books, I'm not going to buy your book. Like make time to read before you make time to write quite right um yeah so yeah i i am drawn to those sorts of books i think because they're not the like i have just going through all the beats of my childhood and this is the primary school i went to and you know this is when i first went to a comedy gig blah 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 which feels a bit formulaic and they have made that effort usually to think actually this is an interesting or or different thing about me um and often their craft and their experiences in comedy aren't mentioned at all like you don't get behind the scenes at a panel show it's more just here are the things that made me who i am um and i think in all those cases i've mentioned as far as i'm aware they all wrote the books themselves so it's yeah it's not quite they're not ghostwritten and they've got that distinctive voice that they have as as comedians i guess so that just yeah. feel like maybe the more legitimate end of celebrity memoir
1: yes i think so um and you know i think a lot of people who are in the public eye do have very interesting and powerful stories to tell, and they i think particularly people who've come from difficult backgrounds or more average backgrounds a lot of people can find those stories inspiring and moving and inspirational and all that sort of thing so I don't um I can see why people enjoy them they're not things I ordinarily would go and pick up the only memoirs I tend to to buy which I don't know if they would count as celebrity memoirs because they're not really celebrities would be writers books yeah I think
0: if they because they're, they're just writing another another genre aren't they really I think that yeah. they're, they're exempt from the celebrity memoir
1: no, but the, the only one I have read one in my life <laughs> um and that was Prince Harry's Spare which I absolutely devoured in uh, as <laughs> short a space of time as possible because I love the gossip um and that one for me I felt like I wanted to read it because it was very much part of the current conversation and I wanted to to kind of understand the perspective from from his point of view um and I also this was my excuse to my colleagues when I I brought it into work and everyone was was taking the piss out of me <laughs> um I wanted to look at, I, I found it interesting looking at the fact that it was ghost written and mm. looking at the angle that the ghost writer had taken. And I personally felt reading it that the ghost writer hadn't liked Prince Harry very much and was was very much looking to sort of set him up in the way that he would written the book. Um, and unfortunately, I, I doubt whether Prince Harry noticed that but it was <laughs> uh, it was very intriguing from the perspective of perspective and thinking again that like this this is somebody's very personal story they've obviously given all the information over to to this ghostwriter and the ghostwriter has made choices about what's going to go in because apparently the original material was double the length so um lots of choices were made about what was kept in what was left out what um incidents were used to illustrate certain points and i do wonder whether if print how it would have read if prince harry had written it himself i mean it wouldn't have been as literary but um i'm sure but thinking about it would he have have made all those choices or when he was presented with with what someone else had chosen he thought oh yeah that sounds good but would he have thought to have done that himself so i found that all of that thinking process um interesting alongside actually just reading the gossip but um i did feel quite ashamed of myself actually (laughs) and (laughs) and i was made to feel ashamed by the waitrose uh waitrose uh waterstones um, great place is a supermarket for uh, Americans listening, um, yeah. by the Stones sales lady who just kind of like gave me a withering look as I bought it. And I felt like I wanted to say something to defend myself. Like, you know, this is an academic interest here. I'm an English teacher, but, um, I just thought, you know what? I'm owning it. So I just,
0: <laughs> I was yeah, I was quite keen to read it um, because uh, I, I guess because I am quite a royalist, but also you know, quite think he was treated quite badly, and also definitely think Meghan's been treated quite badly, um, particularly by the press in this country. And so I thought, well, that would be interesting. Until I think I was just on Instagram and I heard an excerpt from it, which I believe he read the audio book, yes, um, and the excerpt that someone had put up was about um, things he was doing with. <laughs> Uh, Elizabeth Arden face cream
1: and i thinking <laughs> well
0: that's that's more than I need to know about anybody let alone my uh, you know one of the royal family and I think if that's the tone it was I mean it seemed to me excruciatingly badly written from that excerpt but um maybe it didn't do it justice uh so yeah, I've I've not read it and uh I imagine charity shops are filled with it now so my the options it? will be there
1: I've not actually seen a copy
0: that's true, I actually, I haven't. Maybe a lot of people did do it as audiobook or something, or e-book, e- because they didn't want the shaming that you had. <laughs> yeah, know. Exactly. <laughs> um One that I really loved, to go back to what you were saying about people talking about their upbringing, um, was one, well, I won't tell you initially, I'll do what I did when I wrote a review of it, but I didn't say what the book was until the final line of the review, because yeah. it was a really interesting look at racism in America and growing up... Um, mixed race light-skinned mixed race so she was she was often mistaken for being uh latina whilst her siblings were much darker and there was a lot of sort of colorism going on there um it was also about growing up in poverty and what and that what that looked like she also had a violent uh brother who's in trouble with the police uh, her sister tried to prostitute her at some point it was a really dark and interesting look at all of those things Second half of the book, much more about her about her finding success in her career, but then being in a coercively controlling marriage and what that looked like. And this was the meaning of Mariah Carey by Mariah Carey, a book that I imagine most people seeing that title would think I'm not interested in that diva. She'll just be talking about you know all her pop songs and you know her diva demands. And it, and yeah, she didn't write it. It was a, a ghostwriter whose name I'm afraid I can't remember, but it was. I think one of the best childhood memoirs I've ever read, the second half, less good. But um, yeah, things like that, people... It it confused me a bit because the people who are after memoirs about the effects of racism and poverty probably aren't going to pick it up. People Mm -hmm. who want to know about Mariah Carey's life might have thought, this isn't really what I was expecting. I thought it would be just about how great Christmas is. Um, (laughs) So so yeah, I don't know. It's that sort of quest for legitimacy um that I I don't know how well the book did, but it did seem to fall between two stools in a way.
1: That's really interesting. And I think that's a fair point to make. You know, we we can often make a judgment that a celebrity won't particularly a celebrity who's not known for being, you know, intellectual or anything, um won't have much to say or won't have much to share that's of value, but actually a lot of the time people who have achieved great success in life are people who've overcome a lot of barriers to get there. And there is a lot of value to be had in reading their stories. It's just the, I think the way they're marketed sometimes doesn't help.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because I think they often are um, marketed as gift books, aren't they? Like you were saying yeah. for Christmas. Um, the one, of course, that was very big towards the end of last year. Um, I've not read It's Britney Spears. Um, oh yes, of memoir, course. Which, I can't remember the name of it now.
1: No. No.
0: Um, which I haven't been particularly intrigued largely because i think uh it's just another way in which big business is taking advantage of her but yeah. um yeah but I did read last year a book called toxic by sarah Dittum, which i thought was really good have you come across that no i haven't it's essays um about the, the 2000s which she refers to as the upskirt decade and basically about how women celebrities were treated but particularly by the press but also by popular discussion and culture in general and so each each book sorry each chapter is on a different female celebrity so britney is in there you've got janet jackson kim kardashian um paris hilton lots of sort of people who are uh very famous but often um underestimated or yeah maybe accurately estimated but certainly considered like public fodder and not treated well and it's yeah fascinating look into a time that wasn't very long ago but feels in some ways worlds away um and things that were even if not everyone considered them acceptable you, you could you could do this you, know, you could try and take a photo of Britney Spears' skirt without the police doing anything that sort of thing yeah. um yeah so horrifying book but really interesting very well written mm.
1: that would interest me actually and um, you know tragically the 2000s are now vintage um
0: well yeah y2k like- fashion is back around isn't it,
1: it? <laughs> you see all the kids at school and I'm like guys it didn't look good the first time around but um <laughs> uh, i know it's it's a bit scary that moment where you realize that your past has become someone else's vintage um but there we are oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> and i think there is a lot of uh analysis now about 90s and 2000s pop culture in in uh yeah, so maybe it's maybe the sort of intellectualised version of this is not reading the celebrities themselves talking about it, but reading people like Sarah Disham talking about it, which is yeah. interesting because it's sort of, it's removing the agency again from the people under discussion. Mm.
1: But makes it feel more, I, I suppose, legitimate to be interested yeah. in it. Mm. Because, mm. mm.
0: yeah, I mean, Paris Hilton had a book out last year as well, I think, um, a memoir. Oh. So it's, oh, I yes, think I- we are, oh, sorry.
1: I think I read about it and her basically saying about how she'd been manipulated abused etc.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the celebrity memoirs by women now are in a sort of post me too era where mm. they are you know allowed to say actually all these terrible things were done to me without like if they'd said that at the time that have been pilloried in the press and you know all that sort of thing whereas now it I'm sure so certainly obviously not uh fully over, but um, or by any imagination, abstract imagination, but it's more acceptable in, in the sort of public consciousness for people to bring these topics up,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Any celebrity that you would like to write a memoir? Oh,
1: good question, no, not really. I mean, I don't find um, yeah, I don't find it necessarily all that interesting reading about um people's lives unless they've done something that I personally admire I would much rather read read about somebody who'd you know done a saved loads of people's lives or um you know built a incredible I don't know I can't even think but like done something more humanitarian I'd be more interested in reading hmm. about than celebrity personally
0: I'm sure Malala's written one okay I can read that um what do you um i mean i'd love the queen to a britain one i know she's not <laughs> she's sort of the uh celebrity but obviously that's not going to happen now unless they find something in a chest somewhere um but i do get the impression she wasn't the most literary of people bless her mm-hmm. um mm, i would like shania twain to write one actually but i don't think she has because she had a very traumatic upbringing she I'd did to talk about
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm actually sure that would be very interesting because she's overcame a lot of things. And um, wasn't she like? Didn't she have to bring her own siblings up or something?
0: Well, she did. She faced quite a lot of abuse, and then her parents died in a car crash, and she had to bring up her younger siblings.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and there is that particular brand of celebrity, particularly singers like Shania or Britney, whose whole sort of persona is joyful and fun, and so you know it seems. Um. yeah again like they had to sort of hide that sort of more miserable part of their lives and now it's okay to talk about it more
1: yeah and to say hey you guys I'm normal just like you yeah
0: <laughs> yeah um but yeah I, I think generally I mean generally obviously I prefer the sort of memoirs by writers or indeed I've really enjoyed that's uh, the sort of recent maybe the last 10 years um uptake in memoirs by people who aren't famous so some of the ones I've read in recent years. Catherine Cho's book Inferno, all about postpartum psychosis. Um, uh, yeah, it's people who, they're only famous for writing memoirs. I think often, you know, if that's that's their main talent, that's their gift and and how they best communicate it. So naturally they're going to probably be, be better than people whose real gift is something else. I saw in fact in an article recently about, this was about celebrity novelists rather than celebrity memoir, memoirists pointing out that no celebrity is like, oh, I'll just, give it a go at portrait and painting or something. or you know, I'll see if I can get something into Royal Academy. And yet many celebrities either write or put their name to a novel. It is a bit um confusing, but that's considered something that anybody can do.
1: Yes, quite. And and it really isn't
0: No. So, celebrity memoirs, yay or nay. Um,
1: it's it's a no from me to be honest. Um, unless it's Prince Harry, it turns out
0: yeah the, the only exception i mean i've said a lot that i have read so i think i'm a yes if i can stretch the definition to include comedians and things and particularly i mean basically all the ones i've mentioned i listen to his audio books uh read by the person in question and so that I, is the way that i like to consume them so with those parameters i'm gonna say yes okay do you get in touch with your favorite celebrity memoir um you don't get this from front row do you um, <laughs> we do have a question from Gina for the middle part Gina thankfully sent a whole, whole list of them a while ago so I'm just working my way through them which is great but if anyone else has a question for the middle part you can get in touch at t or books at gmail.com this time Gina asks do we like girls school stories
1: oh well, yes I do um, but very specific so um, I was obsessed with Mallory Towers books uh, by Enid mm. up, and I do have them all still. Um, I don't. I reread them a few years ago and was really quite taken aback by how terrible they were. Um, <laughs> I keep them as a fond memory, and I, I mean, I don't read them as an adult. I know some some adults do like rereading them. Um, they're not ones I go back to. I mean, I am a teacher, so obviously the those wonderful rose tinted glasses don't exist for me anymore. I'm afraid. School days are very much my life, <laughs> um, but I did absolutely love them growing up, and they really uh, kind of. I think when you are a child who enjoys school very much, and also hankers after the past as I did um, <laughs> from a young age, and had fantasies about going to boarding school. I really wanted to go to boarding school. Um, I had no idea of the realities or the amount of money it cost, but I just thought how wonderful. And reading these stories where all the girls were up to all these wonderful exciting adventures all the time that, that wonderful uh parent free life with useless teachers who seem to never know where you are um it, <laughs> and there's a swimming pool and you've got a beach and horses and all this other kind of stuff it's just just marvelous so um yes as a child i very much was as an adult not so much but um yeah would if I were ill in bed for several weeks with flu, I think rereading
0: that
1: would be <laughs> wonderful.
0: Yeah, there definitely is uh like a section of the reading public who do still just love these children's of these yeah, these girls' school books. I remember it was um I can't remember her name now. Uh, Mary Cad- Mary Cadogan Cadogan wrote a book all about them called You're a Brick, Angela, which I thought was a wonderful title. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and yeah, I guess the equivalent for Often those are read by women, the equivalent, I've seen this groups of men who only read like boys adventure books. And in fact, when I worked at the Bodley and we had to, we had to try and catalog some of these boys adventure comics and some of them, I think like the cover was missing or something. So I, I couldn't find out what number they were but I just found this blog about someone who just loved them so I emailed him and he had all the information to hand it was great yeah. um that yeah but then that's not me like like you I loved them as a child I loved the naughtiest girl in the school series by Ina Blyton um I loved St. Clair's I was I was more St. Clair's than Mallory Towers because St. Clair's had twins um and uh I, ca- I can't now think of any I read that weren't by Ina Blyton but yeah now whilst I would occasionally maybe read a vintage children's book for fun it's not something I go to very often and I don't particularly hanker after reading um school stories and I never even when I love those books I the idea of boarding school horrified me I was like I definitely don't want to not not come <laughs> home every day my parents used to threaten we'll take you to boarding school sometime which looking back they certainly couldn't have afforded to do so i didn't needn't have worried but it was sort of one of the things they said like if you don't behave you're going to boarding school so <laughs> there you go
1: oh, no, i used to use it as a threat to my parents i was like well, <laughs> if me i'm gonna go to boarding school and my mum was like it costs a lot of money so I don't know. yeah yeah
0: yeah it's yeah, not <laughs> like, of <laughs> midnight feasts yeah um <laughs> well there we go. Thank you, Gina. Um and now, yes, the two books. Maybe we should introduce the one we've just read, i.e., the one that we didn't put forward.
1: Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. That could be fine. All right, we so
0: go first. Sure, I'll go for it.
1: Okay, so I read si- one of Simon's top ten. Um what 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 exact number was it, Simon? Do you, you Oh, good
0: question. I can't I think it was four or five.
1: Okay. So sort of mid. Um by Michael Cunningham, and it was a bit of a cheeky one from you actually because you managed to get hold of it before it came out in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so, quite a, uh, it's only just come out in the UK, whereas I think it's been out for quite some time now in the States, anyway. Yeah, a few um, months, yeah. And it is a, a Covid novel, which I suspect we're going to start to get a rash of soon. And it is unusual in that it's three days, but they are three years apart so you see one day in uh, 2019 you see a day in 2020 and you see a day in 2021 and it's a day in the life of uh, a family who live in in brooklyn and you have uh, a married couple um, isabel and dan and then who live with in the first day in 2019 they live in their brooklyn um, apartment with isabel's brother robbie who lives upstairs in the in a little flat and their two their two children as well um and at that point in time robbie's just been asked to to move out they need the extra space for their son and it's a difficult for everybody robbie's very close to everyone he's um a second a primary school teacher not really very happy with what he's doing looking to do something else with his life um, Dan, Isabel's husband, is is forty. He's been a rock star. He wants to. He's trying to get back to himself as being a rock star. There's lots of Isabel's not happy with her life. There's lots of nobody's really very happy, um, and they're all trying to figure out where to go. And then we move forward to 2020. It's the middle of the pandemic. You you see how that affects their relationships, and then you go into the day after the pandemic, and you see what the result of the pandemic has been on them as a family so that's the the kind of the main thrust of the of the book and having that one day is really interesting because you just get this little snapshot but you do manage to learn a huge amount about these people um and interesting as well that you don't really get any interaction uh there's no sort of interaction with their outside world really it's just very much a domestic um home-based mm. um portrait but yeah so that's day
0: lovely thank you very much very nicely done um and the one that rachel was in rachel's top 10 i believe number two was um landscape and sunlight by elizabeth fair uh which i chose from the list of 10 because i have read and enjoyed other books by elizabeth fair it it's um like like has often are it's set in a village community in little malin and it's really just about the sort of gossip and romances and um power plays that, that quietly go on in this little community there's an awful lot of characters so there's a, a vicar and his wife and their teenage daughter um there's a nearby um widow i think she's widow um and her artistic son there's uh, a family in the big mansion i never quite worked out how they were related to each other but there's a few of them <laughs> um there's uh two sisters the fen sisters living with, uh together who are very sort of chaotic um and the the big events of the book are a picnic and a fate <laughs> so there's proper proper village life um but yeah you it's it's more about the people and the way that they interact with each other than anything that particularly happens in the book and it's if yeah it, i guess in the vein of things like Barbara Pym and uh, people like that, but with quite a sharp humour as well. I think maybe more than the other Elizabeth Fair books I've read, it's got it. It's often um, sort of quite bitingly funny at the expense of the characters.
1: Okay. Um, Do you want to kick so, off? Yeah, I mean, I I had high hopes for Day after your very high praise of it, and also The Hours, uh, which is one of his earlier books, quite some time ago now. I, I think about twenty years mm-hmm. old. Um, Is one of my favourite books. So um, I've not actually read anything else by Michael Cunningham. I know that you're a huge fan. I think you must have read Mm. everything. I
0: have. Yeah, yeah. Everything, including the first novel he disowned, I managed to get hold of.
1: Oh, really? Gosh.
0: Yeah. It's very good, actually. He didn't need to disown it.
1: So, I mean, I'm not hugely familiar with his erve, I have to say. I've just got the hours to go on. Um, I really enjoyed the first section of the book that that opening um section in 2019 where you're kind of thrown in media's rest into the the kind of chaotic life of this family where you've got all these individuals and and i think the the children were drawn well as well um everyone's at a point in their life where change is happening and i think the characters are sort of a similar age to us really so looking at that kind of sense of all of these dreams and hopes that I had as a younger person and I'm now having to come to terms with the fact that I've reached this point in my life and they, they haven't happened or they have happened but I'm actually not enjoying them and where do mm-hmm. I go from here and that real sense of being in flux and knowing that you're not happy but then not maybe not being sure what you want to do about it I think Isabel was was for me um her name is isabel isn't it like i'm saying this and i'm like is that
0: (laughs) oh i'm so bad of names i think it is um Um, let's let's say yes for the time being
1: yeah and she's a wonderful character in in that she's on the outside looks like she's got everything she's got this handsome husband she's two very sweet children got an apartment in brooklyn it's got an important job but she's absolutely miserable and her life feels empty and she's not happy with anything that she has she doesn't like being a mother she she doesn't love her husband um she doesn't her jobs she hates her job and it, she's working in a dying industry and she just dreams of running away and uh, there's a wonderful moment where um she goes to grand central and she looks at the train um she's supposed to be going to work and she looks up at the train list and it was actually the the train i used to take to my job when i worked in York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to go past them on the train, and she just fantasizes about just getting on the train and just disappearing. And I thought that was really powerful that portrait. um And then when we went into the pandemic, things took a bit of a shift. Oh, I should also mention that I found the Robbie, her brother, and her creating this false person online who embodies everything Robbie wishes he were. Um, I thought that was really interesting. So, what did you
0: think of that? Yeah, um, I pick up a few things there. So, yeah, I I did think so. He's got this like personality called Wolf that apparently wasn't a deliberate reference to Virginia Wolf, but uh, obviously lots of people pick that up. Um, what I did find funny is that he is um getting quite a lot of reactions it's a lot of people are invested and it only has like four thousand followers which you know on instagram you have to have a hundred thousand before anyone thinks anything of you i should say i've got a lot fewer than four thousand, but i'm not (laughs) i'm not a (laughs) instagram influencer um yeah i thought it was convincing um that as as as, because it could have felt a bit forced me like i've got to put something modern in here michael cunningham's not the youngest person in the world anymore. I think he's maybe 70 now, um, maybe a bit younger. I forget, but he's certainly not Robbie's age. Uh, and I, th- yeah, I think he incorporated social media quite convincingly. Um, I loved I loved the first section of the novel most as well. We'll get on to what you thought of the rest of it, but I, I, I love the way he sets up these communities of people that uh, some of them are family, some of them are friends, uh, in this one, it was mostly family. But these sort of, uh, I, I guess, the unconventional relationships, they've got this, quite a strange closeness between the brothers-in-law that mm-hmm. um, I guess is homoerotic without anyone thinking anything would happen. And there's no real suggestion that Dan isn't straight. It's just that sort of banter they have. Um, I hate the word banter. But yes, thats I don't know. He's hes really interesting in, in fluid relationships, I guess. And it's interesting you saying that you know, you've just got the two, novels to compare that he's written because this felt it in some ways like a patchwork of bits of earlier ones like the, there's a brother-in-law flirting sort of tension in by nightfall there's um a would-be musician in the snow queen uh there's yeah i mean obviously Laura Brown in the hours is, is a dis- dissatisfied wife and mother so there are these sort of echoes i guess of his previous books um without it feeling at least to me derivative it felt more just like i was reassuringly in Cunningham Territory. Um in fact speaking of Mrs. Brown, I uh Laura Brown, I re read it as an audiobook for for this and Julianne Moore reads it, which oh. um I can't imagine how they managed to convince her to do that because, you know, she's going to get Oscar nominations every every year. But um I'm very glad she did. She did a lovely job. And uh yeah, I really enjoyed re experiencing it that way.
1: So what did you think about when we switched into the pandemic.
0: How did that feel for you? Yeah, I. I mean, I still thought it. it was, I still think it, it was brilliant. I think I was expecting the claustrophobia of the home, which we didn't really get because we're not going to give away the whole plot. But I think we can say that Robbie is no longer in the house. He's gone. He's gone abroad. Yeah. Um, and so the tensions that were set up in the first section about why is our brother. Or why is my brother still in the house? Is it okay to still have him here? How does that affect our marriage? We sort of lost that in a way because he wasn't there. But the things I really liked about it were the way that he, um, the way the children reacted to it. I thought Viola was the most interesting character in the book, Uh,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: the young daughter. And she is the one who becomes I mean, it's not—I guess is not necessarily the right word, because obviously it was very dangerous. But she won't let them open the windows. She leaves notes around saying, "Please make sure the windows are closed." She, um, yeah, she's she's ter- absolutely terrified, but but she's also a fascinating character because she's just beginning to learn about societal rules in general when this all happens. So she's learning she can't wear an evening dress to go to the park that sort of thing she's learning that her mother doesn't like her wearing certain colors because her mum's very keen that she must always look her best um she's only what five or six or something so it's yeah i think it's he it was really interesting that we saw her sort of burgeoning understanding of her place in the world at a time when that world closed in completely um but i'm guessing i'm sensing that you liked the second and third sections less than the first one
1: yeah, I, I, um, I was really into it with that first section, and I was really interested, as you you say, about thinking about how he would do the claustrophobia of of being stuck at home. And I was thinking, oh, you know, gosh, they 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 live in a city center apartment. You know, it'd be really interesting to see how they how he deals with that. But, um, I didn't really, I didn't really see the point in um so Robbie goes is in Iceland he gets stuck in Iceland he's gone there to kind of like find himself in between he's applied to medical school he's going to do medical school he's left teaching um and he sort of goes on on a brief holiday and then while he's there the pandemic happens and he can't get back um and I don't know it felt just very ineffective for me it felt a bit I just thought I don't see the point in this um it felt like it was I don't know, a deliberate literary device or something. It didn't feel like it was an organic part of the novel. And mm. I, I completely agreed, agree with you. I thought the depiction of Violet was really good, and Nathan as well, that how the pandemic affected children and how, um you know, children do internalise things and do process things in very different ways. And, you know, as a teacher, I'm still seeing the impact of COVID on children now. So mm-hmm. that... um. Mm-hmm assumption that lots of parents made i think that that oh well i'll just keep reassuring them everything's fine and you know they seem fine so they're okay you know we don't know really how they were processing that trauma and grief themselves so i thought that was really interesting and i'm i was glad again that he he had the children in in the book but i thought i don't know it just it just sort of started to fall away for me in that section and then as we moved into the last section i thought it was completely emotionally manipulative unnecessary um I won't say you know what I'm talking about yeah. and, um, <laughs> it all just sort of fizzled out and I thought this so much promise in that opening section and there's so many ways that I would have taken it myself and he didn't go in any of those directions and I just thought it was a bit of a turned into a bit of a damp squib that was my um my take but I still found it very readable I wanted to stay with the characters but it it certainly I didn't think was a was anything above a very average book by someone who can write fairly well that's how I felt oh gosh okay (laughs) yeah
0: um interesting yeah because I mean obviously I, I think it's absolutely brilliant I think he's up there with the greatest writer's living today and maybe ever but um <laughs> yeah, i just think yeah. so yeah but i can see well it's interesting i read um i saw actually rick mcdonnell on instagram was talking about how he found the first section not that interesting and he loved the book more and more as it went on because he thought it was re he got better and better at sort of what you're talking about at the beginning about that um idea of time passing and letting go of things that you had hoped you'd achieve etc and i obviously, there's more of that as as the novel goes on, but um, I'm like you in as much as I liked the first section most. I still love the rest of it, and he's just to me to me he's incapable of writing a bad page. I think his writing is just that perfectly judged place between page turnery and beautiful. Like it's it, to me, it's never like trips me up with it being over the top. But I just think his sentences are beautiful, and the way he um writes human thought is is exquisite. But of course it's it's something uh, interestingly neither of us have mentioned chess or garth and i do think they were very darling shouldn't (laughs) have been there so that's my so garth is dan's brother and chess is the woman that he has had a baby with as i guess as a sort of sperm donor but he's wanting more um yeah
1: no there was lots of extraneous elements that didn't need to be there i think if he'd just stuck to one setting and uh And I I felt that what he decided to do as the aftermath of the pandemic was um, unbelievable and unnecessary. So I was just quite cross about it, really. (laughs) If I hadn't been on on the train, I might have thrown the book somewhere.
0: Oh, my Um, gosh. Yeah. Well, extraneous characters can be our link to Elizabeth Fair, I'm afraid, because I just... (laughs) um, as i was reading it i was remembering why i have really liked but not loved other elizabeth fair novels it's because why are there so many characters it's like she could have it's like two novels in one she could have cut half of them and it would have been great (laughs) if she cut half of them i think it would have been one of my novels of the year but just as you're learning who they are they're like and then we went to another house and there are 20 people here and then we went on a drive and we met 15 other people and at one point i counted there were i think 25 central characters (laughs) it's You don't need this many, Elizabeth. Calm down. I don't know who they are now. Every time they came up, we were like, "I have no idea who this is." <laughs> I had to go back and find out, um, which was a shame because at the beginning, you know, when we got the vicar and his wife and their daughter, and then went to the next house, it's like, "I love this. I love the." the humor i love the you know i grew up in a vicarage in, in the countryside it's all very accurate we had a kerfuffle over whether or not there should be a fortune teller or a village fate it's all very <laughs> realistic it happens <laughs> Side note, we did have one muriel dawson did it and then future years she got banned so um <laughs> you know some things don't change uh and i i mean i think it it was really funny i, I noted down a couple lines i really liked but one, saying, so no, nothing like that ever happens in Little Malan, worse luck, said Dossie, whose yearning for male society included even burglars. It was wonderful. <laughs> um, I love the servants, um, Mrs. Dixon and Sarah, who don't do any work in the big house for the, yeah. for the man and his son, um, and who every time they ask them, like, can we actually have a cup of tea or something, just talk about how dreadful their chilblains are or something, and having a, have a lovely setup though, where they just get to hang around and get paid to chat with each other um so yeah there are lots of things i loved i think she is sharper than someone like miss reed suddenly got a lot more bite to it uh i think she's really fun but she just t- 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 for me got just needs to contain how many people she wants to talk about i found this in Bampton to as well where it's just just you have you know eight central characters you don't need more
1: Well, <laughs> obviously I disagree. Um yeah. I I love the multiplicity of characters because you just get this wonderful cross section of of communal life and I think that's why it reminds me of Jane Austen and particularly my favourite, um Emma, which I will get into every podcast
0: <laughs> in cross it off on your bingo shout, everyone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's always relevant. Um, <laughs> It's you've got that kind of, you know, the wealthy people, the the spinsters who are still hanging on to their youth, also, you know, the only time I've come across my surname in fiction, so that was very exciting. I've got a very unusual and slightly rare surname, so it's quite nice. Um and I loved the interactions between all of the different people and how also the interactions between um, characters, differs like the way one character is one person is different from the way they are with another so you get to see a different side of them um, and it's just so funny so funny, mm. funnier than Barbara Pym I think um, yes I and I love it. yeah but you don't like Barbara Pym anyway so.
0: <laughs>
1: and I just loved the character of Mrs. Custance but I also loved the the character of, I can't remember his name now but the, the artist who lives in uh, the house, the big house who's moved oh, yeah. there painter
0: alfred edward i don't know see so he, there's yeah. no way can you can remember all right. their names
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I never remember the names anyway but it's the point um and i loved he i should have written down the lines but he said something there was a line that she she'd written in the narrative voice where it said something like you know women are um he felt women were useful um sisters were very useful because they they um they do things for you when you don't have to pay them anything or something. And I just thought <laughs> there's so many lines in there that I just thought this woman saw life clearly. And um, there's just, I just thought I was enchanted by the whole thing. I just, every page I was just laughing to myself like, this is hilarious. And um, Brampton Wick was quite similar, but I think, well, thought this one had the edge. I think this is probably her best novel, actually. It's like the kind of peaks. Of her. Um, yeah. yeah this
0: uh, is my favorite of the, four that i've read yeah
1: um and i just thought you know also the politics of village life and um i love the everyone hates um mrs what's her face and they want to get rid of her but no one can actually just ask her to leave so they've got to go around all these ridiculous ways to try and and persuade her (laughs) to go through getting her son to do something else it's just like you know if people would just be honest with each other but you can't be in a in a village like this you know you have to be so careful not to tread on anyone's toes. You've got to be, um keep up appearances the whole time. And I, I love that element of it. And the complete and utter, you know, lack of anything really going on, but so much importance attached to these minor events. You know, the whole of the summer is built around the day, which is the fate.
0: The day, and, yes. Which, yes, um, it links to day very well, doesn't it? How important day really. with a capital D was. <laughs>
1: And that's, everyone's wrapped up in it and how small, but for them, inconsequential these events are. And um, it's, yeah, I just thought it was a beautiful portrait of a, of a, what seems to be vanished life. But then this weekend when I was in um, Norfolk, I thought, gosh, I feel like I'm in an Elizabeth Fair novel because my friend lives on a farm in a, in a tiny hamlet um, where she grew up and We when I got there, the first thing she said was, um, "She lives. Her parents also live in the farmhouse." Um, She was like, "Mum's, Mum's got to do the teas in the church tomorrow," so she said, "We've got to go up and help her in the morning." And um, so, you know, first thing in the morning, we're trudging up the lane to the church, and I was, you know, getting the cups out, and I thought, "This still happens."
0: Oh yeah, I mean, this is not a vanished world at all. I mean, I think class is less important than it, or much less important than it was. It's not, it's not gone, but but you, you don't get that same deference. And the person in charge is just as likely to live in the council house in the village as in the manor. But there's still a strict hierarchy of who does what and uh, treading on toes. And yes, I love it. I love being part of being part of it. Um, and yeah and i think yeah yeah you're right that she did a great job of portraying that i mean the idea that someone would just give the vicar a holiday and be like go away for 3 weeks starting tomorrow or something that that felt slightly absurd but uh, <laughs> but otherwise <laughs> um yeah uh, there is there is a sort of realism amongst the this the humor and silliness um it's interesting you mentioned that you the way each character behaves with each other you know, there's differences between each pair of characters. It's something that actually I noted down as what I really like about Day, and indeed all of Cunningham's novels, in the way that you feel like you, you, well, you do know how any two characters interact and behave, and often it's quite different from how they behave with with other ones. I think that's maybe something they've these two novels have in common. Yeah, um, I, I think, well, I think Day is is you know has more psych- psychological acuity as it is trying to be a more psychological novel than. Elizabeth Fair's novel is not yeah, I don't think she's going for like psychological realism. But um but there are elements that creep in nonetheless.
1: Yes. I mean I I don't think that Day is quite the work of genius that, that you think it is, but um I certainly think that it's got the um it's got a psychological truth to it that I I don't think Elizabeth Fair lacks. I think there is a lot of psychological truth in hers as well, and it's just cloaked in humour in a way that day is sort of humourless in many ways. I did it did feel a bit earnest. And you know I hate I've mean,
0: been finding quite funny, but in a sort of yeah, very dry New York sort of way, I guess. Um
1: It did feel very New York actually. That was one thing I was gonna to say to you. It felt very New York and it felt very whiny privileged people, a little
0: bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. Um yeah i can't I, mean, I i've not been to new york but i but i i still felt that vibe um i think definitely elizabeth ferris is a more optimistic writer than yeah. than cunningham like and there is that sweet romance thread and i do like a little romantic storyline uh, as long as it's not sort of the only thing that's in the book i thought that was quite sweet you know classic netflix comedy misunderstandings <laughs> type thing and well yeah actually it is quite jane Austeny, like the the handsome young man does something nice, but for the for the handsome young woman, but doesn't want to let her know that he's done it. But yeah. she finds out, and yeah, it's all, it's all straight from Pride and Prejudice, really, isn't it? But um, it is a bit of it. yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. What do you think of the title, "Landscape in Sunlight"? Um, I
1: mean, I thought it was lovely, and I think that idea of it being over the course of a summer. And seeing a landscape illuminated, which is what she was doing in the in the book, just giving us a little kind of shining a light on this microcosm of of society, really. Well, it was quite clever. Yeah,
0: I thought it was interesting because it's the sort of thing I assume, I assume it's referencing what a painting might be called. It reminded me of the title, A View of the Harbour, um, mm. by the Swift Taylor, where it is. I don't know. It's sort of a lens of artificiality over it, I guess, in a way of where she is saying this is a portrait of a of a place, yeah. and a time, and a, and a group of people. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I did very much enjoy it. I don't think any of the characters will st- stay with me as individuals in the way that they they do in day. They did feel like really fun archetypes. Yes,
1: than, I see yeah. what you mean, and I think if you think about the the title as being like a painting, that idea of the Being sort of frozen in time as well this is a these are kind of archetypes rather than um true individuals but i mean i I felt that i i got to know them as individuals and um i i think see i mean obviously i've got quite a negative opinion of day i mean i i thought they were archetypes as well you know they are
0: really Hmm.
1: middle class stereotypes of well not stereotypes necessarily but kind of types tropes really, so.
0: yeah i guess to me they seem so so detailed and nuanced that i didn't get that but um i mean certainly the like class and privilege thing absolutely. yeah absolutely that
1: that's what yeah. i i just kind of thought oh this is written by somebody who's who's from a very you know who has a very narrow um i guess view of the world I mean Michael Cunningham is is a wealthy New Yorker um and this is a book about wealthy New Yorkers and I think well I read it and recognized the people because you know it's I, it's very similar to I mean, New York's not massively dissimilar from London so it's the sort of thing you hear and see all the time and I'm middle class, <laughs> so I guess it's not that different but I don't know I just felt like I wanted to read a book that felt like it was a bit more outward looking. Um, mm. I don't know. It just wasn't what I was expecting. And I don't know. I don't know why. It didn't feel as authentically true as I wanted it to. Whereas Landscape and Sunlight felt authentically true to me. The absurdity of people. I just love. <laughs> whereas I think Day felt to me a little bit self-indulgent. And I don't know why. I can't, I can't put my finger on it. it. Just It just made me feel like. Another one of these books where middle class people moan about being middle class. (laughs) No, it's. I just felt it felt a little bit, yeah, I guess, self indulgent, really. It's the only way I can describe it. But perhaps I'm being ungenerous. I don't know. Maybe I was just grumpy because my train journey was too long.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it does feel visually less self indulgent in some ways than the hours. But I mean, we we both love the hours. Yeah yeah um i did like in swing of class in landscape and sunlight i did like that the as i mentioned the servants get as much detail and character and and good lines and you know interesting things happening to them as anybody else you know a lot of novels from this period the servants are just sort of anonymous people who you know put a plate on the table or who you know if they do have any sort of story it might just be about how annoying they are but i enjoyed the they were part of the same power dynamics and they had as much Agency as anyone else in the book. That was fun, yeah.
1: and good to see how again you get a different perspective on life from, from them.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's not going to be the trickiest decision making <laughs> ever. It was always sort of inevitable since we both already chosen one of these books as our favourite of last year. But just for clarification, I, I, I really enjoyed the Elizabeth Fair. It might even have been one of my favorite novels i read recently if she had cut half the characters but as it is I'm sticking with Day by Michael Cunningham as my choice Rachel
1: um yes I mean unsurprisingly I'm sticking with Elizabeth Fair um I see what's all the sum of the value in Day but it it certainly was a bit of a forgettable one for me I'm afraid
0: there we go. If anyone's been reading along, um, do let us know. I think it was a really fun format to t- you know do our top ten and then pick someone That's else's, so we'll, we'll probably do that next year as well. Yeah. Um,
1: and always uh, interesting for two people who have largely similar reading taste, how sometimes we can completely not...
0: I know. Uh, and in the next episode, we are going quite modern, but two historical novels um, about the 20th century. One is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie... I've squiggled her surname and I can't see what I've written. Do you know her surname?
1: No, I can't remember.
0: Bonnie someone. I'll put it in the notes. You probably all know it's everywhere. And <laughs> Lessons of Chemistry by Bonnie someone and <laughs> Dear Mrs Bird by AJ Pierce. Uh, started the episode with gibberish ending <laughs> without <laughs> knowing <laughs> the author's name. So it's just another really professional, slick episode from Simon and Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Nonetheless.